Listening to wise sayings, guarding what we say, will save our life. Absolutely true. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hemmer. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are discovering the Bible. Going through it in one year, it's very exciting. And today with Proverbs 13, we're going to focus on nine verses that will change the way we think if we really take it seriously. And that's a good thing. Uh, Corey is here with Ryan. Corey, what's up? Today, I'm going to be taking a look at certain trees that were an important source of sustenance, but also an important source of symbolism. Ryan? Today, like yesterday, I'm focused on Proverbs 9 and Lady Wisdom's banquet. But this time, I want to know what this proverb means when it says that wisdom has mixed or mingled her wine. All right. Very good. That's uh, excellent. Come, those are coming up in about 20 minutes time. So make note of that. What are we doing, Jen? Well, I have four words. Persistent, attentive, thorough, hardworking. Proverbs 13, verses 1 through 9. A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. A man shall eat well by the fruit of his mouth, but the soul of the unfaithful feeds on violence. He who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. A righteous man hates lying, but a wicked man is loathsome and comes to shame. Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but wickedness overthrows the sinner. There is one who makes himself rich, yet has nothing, and one who makes himself poor, yet has great riches. The ransom of a man's life is his riches, but the poor does not hear rebuke. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. Proverbs chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Proverbs chapter 12, Proverbs chapter 13, and Proverbs chapter 14 is what we study today. As we continue reading through the Bible, we are going to focus on Proverbs chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Watch what you say. I begin with a scripture. He who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. From Proverbs chapter 13, verse 3. This was written about 3,000 years ago, and we continue to struggle with the same problem. Today, internet forums and social media almost seem deliberately built against such wise instruction. Our mouths are wicked and divisive instruments that can take us down a dark path no matter how strong we think we are. Let me give you another scripture. See how great... A forest is, a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members 
that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell itself. James chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. If you can check me on that, it'd be good to read it anyway. Violence is sparked by what we say. Proverbs 13 tells us that the mouth of the wise will protect their life and how we can be secured by doing and saying the right things, speaking the right things, saying the right things. You know, uh, this is a really important one today. Get your Bible guide out and turn to it. And as we focus on this, if you don't have a Bible guide, why not? Call us or write to us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and click on it. And it will take you to the page where uh, you make donations. Thank you. I'm not going to tell you how much. Whatever God tells you. It could be $1 or it could be more than that. Whatever you want. Uh, and it takes you then to a page, a PDF file, where you can download the Bible guide exactly how we printed it. Very important. As we focus on these nine verses here, watch what you say. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that we would hear what your spirit says. This is very important because we talk every day. I'm talking right now. Help me with what I say to speak only what your Holy Spirit wants me to speak. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. And we said together, amen. Make it so. Now, when we look at this passage, it gets very interesting. For example, Proverbs chapter 13 Verses one to three. Here's what it says. A wise son heeds his father's instructions, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. A wise son heeds his father's instructions, but a scoffer does not listen to his rebuke. That's fascinating. I'll tell you right there. I could do a whole thing on that. A man shall eat well by the fruit of his mouth. But the soul of the unfaithful feeds on violence. Violence in what you say. He who guards his mouth preserves his life. But he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. I, I can't tell you how important this is if you're on the internet. Listening to wise correction and guarding what we say will save us. Believe me, free speech is not the right to say anything we want. It is a responsibility. Responsibility. Free speech is not free. It's a responsibility to say the things that, not to offend people or say things. that. Let me tell you something. The internet and a lot of these places, it's undisciplined. There's... People say whatever they want. I mean, I've withdrawn from several places because it's like, I can't continue. People were saying things to me and I just couldn't do it. I've gone on specific places and I say what I got to say there. And I try to say it from what the Lord told me. That's very important. So we need to, Christians, listen to me. We don't need to correct everybody's theology. What we need to do is read the Bible ourselves. Read it ourselves and put it in the Bible. Not what people say. Not what a pastor says. Not what I say. The Bible. And ask the Holy Spirit to show you what God wants you to hear out of it. It becomes very important. 
Proverbs 13 verses four and six say, the soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing because he's lazy. But the soul of a diligent shall be made rich because he works. A righteous man hates lying, but a wicked man is loathsome and comes to shame. Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but the wicked overthrows the sinner. Now, this is really important. The best way to survive well in this life is to be right with God through that righteousness. Believing in God and being responsible to him is the key to success. Believing in God, being responsible to him. Not what I want to say because I want to say it. No, no. We come back and we say, Lord, we know what we want to say, but help us to say what you want us to say. You know, there's a big difference between what you desire to say and what God desires you to say. <laughs> and on the internet, we need to pay attention to what God wants us to say because there's a lot of public watching. And you can have two or three people. And if somebody goes astray because of something you've said, it's on you. And beloved, we need to pay attention to what we talk about, what we say. This is so important. All right, let's go on to the next scripture. There is no one or there is one who makes himself rich, yet nothing has nothing. And one who makes himself poor, yet has great riches. Wow, what's he talking about? The ransom of a man's life is his riches, but the poor does not hear rebuke. What? That's true. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. Comparison between wickedness and righteousness. People who are left with the best in this life are those who have the least it has to offer. <laughs> People who are left with the best in this life are those who have the least this life has to offer. You cannot buy eternal life. Can't buy it, can't negotiate for it, can't find it. It is God who gives us the best, gives us eternity. Let me say, there's one way to eternal life and there's only one, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. Pray with me and gain eternal life. Lord, forgive me of my sin. I've been wrong. Help me to be right. I believe that you died and allowed yourself to be given for my life years ago. And you rose again after three days in the flesh. And now I pray that you would come and be the Lord of my life. Help me, Holy Spirit, to follow Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, that name, we say this. Amen and amen. Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there.
Today, you and I are going to be taking a look at fruit trees, but not all fruit trees that exist in the world, just fruit trees that were cultivated in ancient Israel. Because as we read through the scriptures, you know, obviously fruit trees are used and different fruits are used uh, incredibly in symbolic ways. But we also know that very practically, they were a source of really important sustenance for these ancient people. So let's take a look and see what we can learn. Throughout the Bible, there are many references to different types of fruit trees. Nearly synonymous with the Middle East even today is the olive tree, which is mentioned in the Bible as one of the main products of Israel. In the ancient world, olives were grown for their oil rather than for the fruit in its raw state. These evergreen trees bloom in the early summer with hundreds of small white flowers. At harvest time, the trees would be beaten with sticks to dislodge the olives that would be collected and carried off to be pressed for their oil. Olive oil had many applications. It was a staple of food preparation, was used medicinally to treat wounds, practically as fuel for lamps, and religiously as offerings for anointing and to light the tabernacle and temple. Biblically, olive trees are used symbolically to represent blessing, and on the flip side, their destruction is seen as God's judgment. They're also used as a symbol of beauty, and famously, the prophets likely have olive trees in mind when they spoke of the Messiah as a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Olive trees were propagated not by seeds, but by their natural growth pattern of sending out shoots from the base of the trunk, which could be cut off and rooted into a whole new tree. Even after felling an olive tree, leaving only the stump, the tree would send out these shoots from the base, which in Israel became a symbol of children rising and growing on after the death of their fathers. Psalm 128 verse 3 says, your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Pomegranates were also cultivated in ancient Israel, and the interior seeds of the fruit were eaten fresh, dried for longer storage, pressed for juice, wine, and syrup production, and the fruit rinds may have been used medicinally. Symbolically, pomegranates were used to represent fertility or fruitfulness, and they adorned the priestly clothing, the decor of the temple, and were a popular design in everyday life. Figs were another important fruit grown in ancient Israel. They were a key element of the economy, and they had two harvests, the winter harvest, which was eaten fresh, and the summer harvest that was dried either individually or in cakes for food storage. For Israel, fig trees also symbolize that blessing of their covenant with God, and their destruction is envisioned as God's judgment. The sycamore trees of the Bible are also a type of fig tree, and these give six or more yields of fruit each year. Their figs were considered common food, and it's believed that in some instances, they may have been grown specifically for their wood. Dates, which grow on many varieties of date palm trees, were grown in locations throughout Israel and require extra care to ensure pollination of the flowers. The products of date palms are dates, of course, as well as date honey. Its leaves are used in the making of baskets and woven products, its fibers make cloth and rope, and its sap can be extracted as a fresh or fermented drink. 
Honestly, there is so much that can be said and can be studied when it comes to uh, how ancient Israelites gathered food, how they grew food, you know, how they were able to survive without the modern luxuries that we obviously have today in the Western world, at least. Uh, but also understanding uh, some of the ways that they they provided for themselves in this way really sheds a light on some of the biblical symbols that are associated with certain fruits, with harvest time with gathering. Uh, so it's it, it really comes full circle. This knowledge, it's helpful very practically, but it's also helpful uh, symbolically when we're reading through the scriptures as well. But I also know that uh, practically uh, you're involved because you ordered. Uh, <laughs> you're going to rat me out. Yeah, I, I am. <laughs> yeah. you, you got one of those. It's olive tree. It's an olive tree. Yeah, I got a door. I, I'm, I'm into plants. I'm really into gardening. I don't have a ton of house plants right now because my kids are still really little. So I have to be very picky about which plants I bring into my house because they may or may not survive or they may <laughs> get chomped on. So I have to make sure they're not poisonous uh, for kids. But yes, I did. I, I ordered an olive tree. I'm waiting for the text message that it has been delivered at my house. It's just a little baby one right now, but I, I hope I can hope I can grow it up to about you five said in, you, you were talking. We were talking here and you said, if I don't kill it first. <laughs> I know. I'm really going to try hard. I'm going to try really hard. We're going to see how it goes. All right. Very good. <laughs> Ryan. All right. Well, today, like yesterday, my focus is on Proverbs 9 because there's a lot there. Now, yesterday we focused on the meaning of Lady Wisdom's Banquet. So today, my attention is on the figurative wine that wisdom offers. And what's interesting is that this wine isn't just normal wine, but it's mixed or mingled. And the question is, what is this special drink? And what does it symbolize spiritually? Let's study. In Proverbs 9, we find Lady Wisdom preparing a banquet for those who are simple and have no sense. In her preparations, she has slaughtered her meat, mixed her wine, and furnished her table. Certainly, this proverb pictures a very special occasion. Indeed, in the ancient East, freshly butchered meat was a mark of a feast. And we also notice that wisdom's wine isn't typical either, but has been mixed or mingled. Just what this drink refers to exactly isn't known, but there are some cultural clues. For example, some scholars believe that this means wine diluted with water, which was a common practice in the ancient world. In fact, wine was diluted with water as much as 1 to 8 to reduce its power to intoxicate. It has been claimed that in most, if not all, cases where mixed wine is spoken of in the Bible, wine mingled with water is meant. In support of this claim, Isaiah 121 is often cited, where the prophet declares, Thy silver is become dross, thy wine mixed with water. But Isaiah here is speaking not of wine which is ordinarily drank at feasts, but of wine that is deteriorated in quality. God's people had become debased. They were like wine mixed with water. Furthermore, there are several biblical passages that speak of mixed wine that seem to refer to wine that has been strengthened, not weakened. Based upon this, some suggest that the mixed wine of Proverbs 9 refers simply to old wine that has been stored in jars and has become strong from mingling with its own sediments. However, the majority of scholars believe that this wine was mixed with spices and other ingredients to give it a better and more appealing taste. This view appears to have the most cultural support. For instance, according to the 19th century reverend James Freeman, the Greeks and Latins always understood mixed wine to be wine diluted with water, 
but the Hebrews generally understood it to mean wine made stronger and more intoxicating by the addition of other ingredients such as honey, spices, myrrh, mandragora, opiates, other drugs, and even boiled down reductions of the wine itself. Also, based upon the celebratory feast setting of Proverbs 9, it would seem that the mixed or mingled wine here does indeed refer to wine mixed with additional ingredients in order to make it tastier, a conclusion also fully in line with the original Hebrew language. Indeed, the definition of the Hebrew word here translated mixed or mingled means to mingle or mix, especially wine with spices. Thus culturally, contextually, and etymologically this view is consistent, and it even makes sense from a scriptural perspective. The food and drink offered by wisdom is the very same food and drink offered by Christ Jesus, which is his body and blood. This feast is an image of the kingdom of God, and so we would certainly expect it not only to look and smell attractive, but also to be of the highest quality and taste. So likely, the type of wine the writer of this proverb had in mind was a wine mixed with spices and or other ingredients to make it tastier. Because as I mentioned at the end of the segment, this whole banquet setting is a symbolic representation of the kingdom of God. And so we would expect uh, this feast to not only look and smell attractive, but also to be of the highest quality and taste. And this whole feast setting with its lovely aroma also reminds me of Paul's portrayal of believers spreading the aroma of Jesus Christ in a triumphal procession in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And if you haven't read that passage before, then you really should because they're really powerful images of greater spiritual realities. Yeah, that's really important. Uh, thank you, Ryan. And by the way, just uh, in case you're wondering, lovelife.org is an organization we've dedicated this week to and we're praying for them, and uh, it is a great organization in North Carolina, and I want to encourage you, get your church to be a part of it or be a part of it yourself, lovelife.org, lovelife.org, excellent work. Janice? Four words, persistent, attentive, thorough, hardworking. This is one of those segments where I, I hope that I can articulate what has been brewing in my head and my heart as I read uh, Proverbs chapter 13. We dealt with the first nine verses on the program today, but I got to verse four. The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. So that word diligent, persistent, attentive, thorough, hardworking. It has many other meanings also. But I thought, you know, looking at this here, the soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. And I have in my notes, it takes a great deal of diligence or discipline to follow Christ. And you're going to be met with resistance at every turn when you do try to follow Christ because there is an enemy of our soul. We call him Satan, the devil, and he will try to test you. He will try to tempt you. He'll, he comes to rob and steal and destroy. So it is a discipline to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. So the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Does that mean that our earthly possessions are, are, are going to be multiplied uh, because of our diligence to serve the Lord? No. Does the Lord bless with things? Yes, absolutely. But that's not where the richness comes to the believer. That's not where the fullness comes. When we, when we talk about being blessed by God, it doesn't just mean earthly things. In fact, 
It means more about where our treasure is. Jesus talked about that. Uh, and and we're, I'm going to deal with that in just a few minutes. But when you work and you strive for the things of this world, you know what? Wealth and possessions, you find that you just want more. You never have enough. You never have enough of that. Or conversely, if you are a somebody that has given your life to Christ, but you're not diligent in the word, if you're not diligent in prayer, then your relationship is lacking. It's lacking. You desire then when something happens in your life, when trouble comes and you wonder, you know, all of a sudden you want to just reignite a relationship that God has always been waiting for, but you haven't had the time. You haven't, you've, you've put everything else before God, before your relationship with him. I talk about it a lot. You know, let's just talk about brushing our teeth. If we didn't brush our teeth, uh, you know, for a few days, our breath and our teeth, it's not going to be healthy. Our mouth is not going to be healthy. It's not going to smell good. Our teeth are going to rot out of our mouth. Well, the very same thing, when we don't put time into the Word of God and, and spending time in prayer with God, our spirit is lacking. Our spirit becomes sick. You know what? Uh, and I'm running out of time here, so I want to talk about being rich in the fullness of God. There's a chapter in Luke starting with verse 22, where Jesus talks about not worrying. I'm going to see how far I can get. Then he said to his disciples, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn and God feeds them of how much more value are you than of birds? Um, If then you are not able to do this, uh, the least, why are you anxious for the rest? I'm going to jump down and do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind for all these things. The nations of the world would seek after and your father knows that you need these things, but seek the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good measure, good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. Listen to this, uh, Luke 12, verse 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Go back to Proverbs, the soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Our fullness comes through our relationship with God. That's where our treasure needs to be. He will provide the rest. And you know what's interesting? It's Luke 12, verse 34. One, two, three, four. Very easy to remember. That's where our treasure should be. That's where our heart is. Lovelife.org is a great organization. Uh, They're in about eight states and they're expanding and praise God for them. They help babies and they help mothers and mothers who 
are thinking about terminating their babies. And I pray today, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you would help lovelife.org. Encourage their hearts, help them today as they, this week they've dedicated to you. And so Lord, we're joining them. So help us, Father, in Jesus' name, help the babies, help the women. And we said together, amen.